Hey, man, anybody glad to be here? Awesome, you look good. Really good. Um, have a couple of fun things to announce. We had one of the couples here get engaged last week. Um, Amelia, where are you guys at? Amelia and Joshua back there, they got engaged. Give it up for them. They're here. Their family is here in town with them, so we're glad you guys are here. Uh, it's good to see everyone. Hope you guys have been having a fantastic week. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting things planned as we kind of uh, gear up and feel the clicks kind of coming of fall. We've got a fun event coming on this Wednesday. We want to make sure everybody knows about that. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, and last week, we got kicked off on this brand new series called Release. And really what we were looking at is that God wants to release something not only in us, but through us. And over the next four weeks, starting last week through the month of October, we're really going to just be discovering what God wants to do in us and through us. And today we're actually going to make a a slight turn. Last week we were talking about just learning to release control and release the fear that really most of us uh, are controlled, our our decisions are controlled by this fear and and control issues. Today we're going to make a slight turn and begin to look um, really at what God wants to release us from. Not just what he wants to release us to, but before we can really get into what God wants to release us to, we really got to remember what he wants to release us from. And so we're going to dive into scripture and look at that here in just a few moments. Um, And we're going to be digging into some pretty fun stuff as far as that's concerned. But uh, me and my dad, uh, my dad's grown up in Florida most of his life. He wasn't born here, but he grew up in Florida most of his life. I grew up in Florida my whole life. And, And I don't know about you guys, we were big football fans growing up. Anybody big football fans? And, and I kind of feel like I have, like, the sports curse. Anybody from, like, Cleveland, Ohio, you might feel like you have this curse, too. Boston fans, Boston Red Sox fans, they had this, like, 100-year curse where they couldn't win a world championship. I kind of feel like I have that personal curse right now. Um, my team, the Rays, which are really quality, they just got, you know, knocked out of the playoffs. Uh, I went to see the Magic when they were in town. I was excited last Wednesday to go see the Magic in town. And, of course, they lose the game and really close, just choke, you know, how we, my favorite teams do. I'm a big Bucks fan, and we're 0-4. I think 0-4, I think, is our record. And I live in Jacksonville, and that's the other team I'm rooting for. And we're obviously amazing here. But we're, we've been... <laughs> Big football fan, so I feel like I have this curse in my life, my sports life right now. Um, so hopefully things are going to turn, right? Um, so when my dad was a, a little boy, he was uh, playing as little boys do, outside, barefoot, no shirt on. That's just kind of how we did it. I don't know about you guys. You know, playing football outside. And so one day, again, growing up in Florida, what's the majority of the kind of grass we have here in Florida? It's St. Augustine grass. And so one day he's running, and he's playing, he does some kind of cut, and he sticks his his um, index toe, can I call it an index toe? I don't know what toe to call that, the long one. I teach, I teach music, and, and sometimes, because kids don't know their fingers, I'm just like, the short, stumpy one. <laughs> like, so the one next to the short, stumpy one sticks that thing under a St. Augustine root of grass and rips his toe off. Yeah, you guys thought that was going to be a lot less graphic than what it was. <laughs> rips his toe off. It was hanging on by the flesh alone. I've heard, I've heard some ants recount this story and just say it was literally just hanging as he was like hopping and going, and it was pretty gruesome. Um, and so he didn't know it was coming, and then um, that, that's just a crazy thing. So let's fast forward to when I was a kid, and I was doing the same thing my dad did, and, 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 and it's not a toe deal. Nobody's toes getting ripped off. All mine are perfectly gross like they normally are. Um, and, and so I'm out playing football, shirt off, you know, uh, no shoes like I normally do. At this field that we always played at, we called it Pepsi Field because we drank a lot of Pepsi products. So I'm still waiting on my advertising check to come since we named it Pepsi Field. But th- that's where we would play. And there was this one part of Pepsi Field 
um, that had like a power line. And you know the things that come down from a power line at an angle and attached to the ground? We've got some out right there. So I was playing wide receiver, and I was like running one day, and I was going out like perfect technique as I did as a fifth grader, and like, or like sixth grade, and I reached like this, and I wasn't looking. I was looking at the ball, and I got yoked by that thing. It was just one of them. Yoked me, knocked me off. I just, all, more than anything, I don't remember necessarily what happened to my neck. I just remember that feeling where I landed straight on my back and knocked the wind out of me. You felt that before. And you're like, <gasps> and you feel like you're gonna die. Like you feel like that was your last breath. You breathed as you hit that thing. And so I end up, um, I think I went to the emergency room at some point that weekend, and I, I get a neck brace. And so Monday, I thought it was going to be like, I, I was like kind of excited about that. I thought that was really cool. I was going to wear this <laughs> neck brace. It sounds ridiculous, but it's my thoughts. So I, I go in on uh, Monday. I'm in middle school and have this neck brace, and I'm like, I'm ready for the attention from the girls, right? Like, that's what it's all about. And so that starts to wear off. Like, I, I kind of hit, because we traveled basically with our classes, and like, you had the same class basically all day. You just went to different teachers. And, and so that kind of wore off by like second period, and like, the, the fuss was over, and then I had to sit out of like, PE, and I'm like, oh man, this isn't as cool as I thought. And so I ended up taking it off, <laughs> taking off the neck brace, and I was fine. But Anyway, so there's kind of two stories there. One with my dad, and that he gets tripped up by a root that he didn't see. And then another with me, where I get yoked, literally coming off my feet um, by something that I was not paying attention to that was right in front of me. And so today, we're going to begin to do um, a study on what sin is in our lives. And this isn't uh, like a hot topic where we talk about this all the time. We, we pour out the grace and unconditional love of God, but I think it's important for us to get a real clear picture of what God wants to release us from, not just what he wants to release us to. And so as we do this, we're going to need to set ourselves up with a definition, and we're just going to open the scriptures and kind of get into those and read through a couple of translations. And God's going to reveal some things to us about how the gospel, how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the way we view sin. Um, and, and most of the folks in, in the world, you know, we feel this tension with the church as they call sin, sin, but everybody believes in some kind of sin. We just don't want to put the name on it. People on the news, when they talk about the devastating things that are happening, they talk about the pain that's caused from that, and they don't call it sin, but they, it's, it's sin. The church is just one to come out and call it what it is as Jesus reveals it to us in Scripture. And so what we're going to do today, um, uh, textually here in just a second, is I'm going to read two different translations back-to-back, straight through, one of the oldest English translations and one of the newest English translations. But before we do that, I want to give us a, a working definition for us to work from about what sin is. Sin is the distortion and dislocation of the heart from its true center in God. It's the distortion and the dislocation of the heart from its true center in God. That's to say that at one point we were centered. When God made humanity and he made creation, he said it was good. Actually, he made man and said it needs a little help, and so he brought a woman. And, and so then he said it, it's good, like it's finished, God rested. We, we looked at that um, uh, back in, uh, in July when we were looking at Sabbath teachings. And, and so it's the dislocation and the distortion of the heart from its true center in God. And we've talked about this before, that God is love, God is truth, he's the definition of that, he's the embodiment. So we look to him as our center. And so sin is when we distort those truths. It's when we dislocate ourselves from our heart and the true center. And one of the, one of the uh, translations that we, we um, are gonna read today, it actually talks about sin as a weight, a weight. And I think many of us would identify with this weight because 
uh, we feel that. We feel these, these burdens that we live with, these daily things in which we mess up, whether um, it be lusting, ladies lust, lusting after uh, another uh, woman's husband or, or men lusting after another man's wife or the constant lie that we catch ourselves in before anybody else does or the constant jealousy and bitterness that's eating up our heart, whatever it might be, we feel that weight. And Paul described it in one place, and he said, why is it, it's so crazy, because the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do, in fact, do. Why is it this, and what happens is as we proclaim Jesus and begin to walk in what the Bible puts as the Spirit, we have this war that goes on between the Spirit and the flesh. What comes naturally, this dislocation because of the sin of Adam and Eve that that we carry into this world where we immediately have this need to be disobedient. I don't have to tell my son, I didn't teach my son to be disobedient. I'm doing everything in my power to teach him to be obedient. And sometimes I'm like, hey, do this or you're going to get hurt, and he does it anyway. He didn't learn that. He naturally comes out disobeying. We're just naturally good at it. And so that spirit and the, and the flesh are always at war. And so we're going to look to Hebrews chapter 12 and find a, a passage of Scripture. We're just going to look at the first 13 verses. Like I said, we're going to read one of the oldest English translations in the King James, and then we're going to read it in one of the newest English translations in the message, and you'll be like, dude, I've never heard you speak from the King James before, and for those of you that are like King James only people, and you get annoyed when we read from NIV, which is what we normally read from here, like enjoy this, because in 10 years of teaching ministry, this is, I think, maybe the first that I've read from King James, but I think it's so poetically beautiful. Uh, that I don't want us to miss it. And so if you get confused in Shakespearean language, hang with us. We're going to go to one that we can all really grab onto here in just a second. So let's read. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth? chasteneth not. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are ye bastards and not sons? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, verily for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, 
but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. There's some, a couple of uh, kind of, I don't want to call them churchy words, but theological terms that can be confusing to us. Uh, in there, one is righteousness, and that is the right thinking and the right actions of God, the pure truth and love of God. That's what he is drawing us into. And the other one is holiness throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. In the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, all the way to the very end, and just some, some letters from different um, disciples and apostles. And Peter, he says, be holy because I'm holy. What he's saying is, I want you to reflect me. I want you to be different because I'm not like every other God out there. He said, I want you to be like me because I'm a different kind of God. And I've patterned life through Jesus differently. He said, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. Let's look at the message translation, Hebrews chapter 12, and see if this breaks it down for some of us that were getting lost in the ifs up in there. (laughs) Do you see what this means, all these pioneers who blazed the way all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. We'd strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. Uh, That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all, outmatch against sin. Others have suffered far worse than you. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children? And that God regards you as his children. Dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. And don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. See, God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It it always feels like we're going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands, no more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Powerful to kind of see the two in context and just hear the breakdown of two translations that are powerfully saying over and over, set aside everything, focus on Jesus. Be encouraged by the people around you. 
They're, they're speaking a lot to community, and so something we're going to look at later in this message, that sin is not only personal, but it's communal. It invites us into community and do life together. And so we're going to begin to, to break down a couple of items of how the gospel changes the way we view sin. Everybody starts getting kind of afraid that like somebody's going to call them out on sins. But the truth of the matter is that we each have our own perception of what truth is. And there's things within the Bible. I had this, this friend um, that, uh, that his dad, I, I remember this back in the day, his dad had literally taken the Bible and just cut out the parts he didn't want. Like literally cut it out of the Bible and made his own Bible, kind of like Thomas Jefferson did, uh, who a lot of people are like, he, he's a Christian, yeah, but he, he cut out all the miracles of Jesus, things that he wasn't comfortable with, things that he couldn't understand, things that weren't just good moral stuff, but really brought into things that he couldn't comprehend. He made his own Bible called the Jefferson Bible. So most of us want to live like that, and whether we do it figur- like, uh, figuratively or we actually practically do it, we kind of live like that. And so God's going to d- dig into us today. And let's talk about this, how the gospel changes our view of sin. So the first thing that it changes is it changes our will. The gospel of Jesus, that's to say is mercy and grace through faith. Not in and of ourselves, not in our own righteousness, but it changes our will. Our will changes, our desires change. That means things that we have liked to do, that we want to do, the pursuit that we were going on. Most likely, when you, change, when you meet Jesus, things are going to change. And in fact, if those things haven't changed, don't be upset with yourself. Don't be upset with yourself. Many people like, want to throw stones at people, but God starts it on the inside first before it makes its way out. Legalism, which we'll talk about in just a second, is the opposite. It wants to fix everything on the outside, and then we'll work on the inside later, thinking that the outside will somehow fix the inside. But that's not the way Jesus works. Jesus works from the inside out, and so we've got to be okay with that. We've got to be okay with the process of God doing something on the inside, and then it'll begin to manifest its fruit and holiness that we see on the outside. So the first, our will changes. Romans 12.2 says this, don't conform anymore to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that's what we all want. Wouldn't you love like the good, the perfect, the pleasing will? And if you're like me, it's tough to figure out like, God, what do you want? I just get kind of like, God, I don't know what you want here. Like I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to figure things out. And you've probably been like me and you're just like, God, I don't know what you want. I'm doing my best, but my work schedule this and my family life like this. And I, I can't figure out what you want me to do with my life. And this is saying, look, you've got, you've got to take some steps back. And he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. And each of us have a pattern. We have a routine that we grew up with or when we left, uh, we left home. We kind of got into our own routines, our own patterns. Maybe like what you grew up in. Maybe what you didn't grow up in. And what, what uh, Paul's saying here is, is that all of us have to be transformed. But, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a, basically what he's saying is hit the reset button on your brain. Put the reset button of your will and desires when you say yes to Jesus. When you are approached with the gospel, God comes into our And what he's trying to do is get us to be a reflection of him, a true reflection. And as we see that God is not against us, but God is for us. And we see that nothing can stop us when we join ourselves with the will of God. Even Jesus himself had to say, not my will but your will be done. One of the most powerful verses or uh, quotes that I ever heard that really was transformative for me in this context right here was a, a quote that said, you are accepted the way you are, but the way you are is unacceptable. You are accepted the way you are, but the way you are is unacceptable. And that's to say this, is that 
uh, you know, wherever you're at, God accepts you and loves you right where you're at. And nothing in this world can change God's love for you. You may run from him, but God loves you. And you can't stop it. He has an endless and defiant pursuit to passionately love you, even to death on a cross through Jesus. But there's also this element. As that strikes me, I ask this question, God, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? And this idea of getting in our routines and our patterns and habits, this idea of, yeah, but the way you are is unacceptable. And I don't know if unacceptable is the right word as it is that God wants to transform us. I don't want that to be confusing with the grace of God, the mercy of God that comes. Um, But it's also a separate entity that says that God wants to to do some things in us and through us. And if we continue in the patterns and habits, we're not going to have the life that he has for us. If we continue to make all the decisions, if, if we continue to, to operate with the own boundaries that we've put in, we're going to continue to lead ourselves down a path of destruction. Our, our families are going to be hurting. We're not going to have fulfillment in our jobs. We're going to be stressed every time this or that comes around. And that's not the, God, the life that God has for us. God wants to set us free, and, and, and this is something that is in the story of God, is that it's, all, it's never been about God trying to control us. It's been a, a God who is trying to redeem his people, a God who is trying to set us free and keep us free. See, some of us have been set free, but we aren't kept free because we choose to do things in our own patterns and our own habits, and we don't hit that reset button and say, God, but you, you got to do something fresh on me, God. I, I know that you want to do something else in me, but the way you are is unacceptable. Brings me that thought like, oh gosh, that was crazy. Um, brings me that thought like, God wants to do something moving me forward, because too many Christian lives just look like we're spinning our wheels, and we haven't laid aside that weight that weight that we feel. We have, there's stuff that's tangling us up. It's, it, we're entangled in our, our own junk and we haven't hit the reset button. We haven't created new patterns. And there's a great difference between legalism and holiness. And some of us, even as we begin to get into this, you're having this conflict with this thing that you've been dealing with for a long time called legalism. Let me give you a little description of what legalism is. God made the earth and said it's good. Enjoy the earth. He gave the garden to Adam and Eve and said enjoy it, but he, he set some boundaries. He said don't touch this. He said don't touch this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. He said don't touch it. He said you're going to ruin it. He needed some trust. He wanted you to walk in obedience. And he gave them everything to enjoy. So I want us to picture this property. We have about seven acres here. That, and it's a beautiful property. God's enabled us to just continue to, to make it better and better, more beautiful and beautiful as, as folks have jumped on board and made it happen. And, and imagine this is kind of God's earth, this property. In, in the road, obviously, God doesn't want us to play in the road. And we're all in here. And so the idea is that God wants to enjoy us, uh, us to enjoy life, enjoy life on the property, throw the Frisbees, throw the cornhole, you know, have some fun out in the parking lot, throw the football, enjoy life. Um, But what some of us do is because we're worried about our kids playing in the road or we're worried about getting hit by a car because chasing cars is fun. We'll just act like we're dogs for a second. Because chasing uh, cars is fun because playing like real life Frogger is fun, like out there, we see that and we get scared. Like, oh God, maybe the weather's going to come. Maybe a car's going to pull in and we can't you know, pool, you know, can't play out here. We can't have fun. We can't enjoy life that God has given us to enjoy. And so what legalism does is saying, hey, I, I'm just nervous that I'm going to make this. And there's pure intentions. And we say, okay, well, I'm just going to go inside. We'll just hang out on the coffee bar. And it'll be fun in there. We can relax. It's cooler. We'll do that. And then we just look outside. And after a while, you're like, you know what? I'm really tempted to go out there. 
I'm really tempted. And what's something that God's given to us to enjoy. And, and, and so we're like, oh, I'm really tempted to go out there. Maybe I'll, I'll be tempted to chase the cars or play real life Frogger. And so I'm just going to go into this room right here where there's no windows. Then I won't be tempted to look out the window. Then I won't be tempted to walk out the door and have fun and enjoy what life has God given, given to us. And then we realize, oh yeah, there's maybe some people in here that are enjoying this too. And we begin to set all these rules and laws and place that God never put. Jesus said it once. He said, by your very laws, by your own commandments, you've violated my direct commandments. That's what we kind of do in legalism. Then we get in this room and we're like, hey, I, when I'm in this room, it's next to that room, which I can look out the window. So I'm just going to go hide in this closet. And I think it'll be safer there. And we've lost freedom. We, we trap ourselves into this little life box. And so many of us have had resistance from that early on, maybe in our childhood or growing up with a church that lived like this. It was all about legalism, and it was not about freedom and maturity in Christ. And, and so some of us push away from holiness and purity because we're afraid of legalism. And I want to draw us back to purity and holiness in Jesus because that's what he's calling us to. That's the only way that they're going to know us by our love is if we are a true reflection of Jesus. They're not going to know us because we stayed the same forever. They're not going to know us because none of our patterns or habits and our marriages are still falling apart. It, 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 none of our, our families are, are still just in disarray. They're not going to know that we're uh, followers of Jesus. They're not going to know that something real and tangible is happening on the uh, inside unless we look at the, the Hebrews passage that said, and, and rather be healed. Be healed. And maybe that's just the word some of us need to hear. Because we've been hurt by legalism. We've been hurt by our own patterns and routines at some point. And God just wants to heal us. He wants to heal us personally and emotionally. He wants to heal our families. He wants to heal every part of our life and bring freedom. And so that's the difference between legalism and holiness and purity. So there's a drastic difference there. So let's look at the next point. We've spent enough time on that one. Our will changes, and the next thing is our view of others changes. Our view of others changes. One passage that people often bring up when talking about salvation and just the need of all of us for salvation is Romans 3.23 that says, All have fallen short of the glory of God. And many times I underline different parts of this, like the glory of God or fall short. This time I want to underline all for, for all of us and realize that, yes, you too and me too. And what this scripture tells us is that Murderers and ministers are in the same place without Jesus. We're in the same place. And if we're really honest with ourselves and we really take an evaluation of how we view others, I don't know that we realize how desperately we need Jesus too. To overcome our self-righteousness, to overcome our, our racism, to overcome our bigotry, to overcome our inability to actually love others, even in our own home. Because things that have happened to forgive, to love our enemies is what Jesus said. To bless those who curse you. We don't live like that. We don't live like that. But this all has fallen short of the glory of God. It means that, that, the, that the ground at the cross is level. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That means that all of us um, are just as desperate. And we don't live like that. We don't translate that view of others. And it, it, it does something inside of us to begin to love others. It, when we get to that point where we're ready to cross the line, not just of salvation, but crossing the line to let God work through us, not just in us. I mean, I just imagine, there's been a lot of folks who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, or they say they are, and it's never made it outside of here. 
One of that message translation says spiritual fat. We get really fat and happy spiritually inside the church, but really there's these parasites that are eating us up because something will not allow us to get outside of our doors and to be the church that Christ enabled us to be. The church is not a building. It's not a piece of, of property. The church is you and me living like Jesus in the streets. And we've got to get a hold of this. If, if we're going to be released to something, we've got to be released from something. We've got to be released from these weights, from these things that are entangling us, these roots underneath that rip off our toes, that yoke us because we don't have our eyes on Jesus. We don't have our eyes focused, and God's wanting to strip those things away to lay aside all this weight and just to walk in freedom and joy. I remember when God really just started to deal with me about joy and freedom. And uh, it, it was kind of after, like, I felt spiritually free, I feel like. And this is just me talking. I'm not bringing any scripture. It's just me talking. I just remember, like, just God really beginning to set some, like, physical things that I was struggling with, beginning to set me free from those. And I feel like it was after the fact that I was still, like, burdened by those things. It, it was, I, I, I couldn't walk in freedom. I, I w- wouldn't allow, allow myself to move past those things. I couldn't experience joy. And Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so I always felt weak. I always felt beat up. I always felt weighed down. Though God had set me free long ago for it. Though I, I had already turned my focus to him, I was constantly weighed down. I wasn't walking in the joy. So protect that joy in our life. And remember that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So let's move to the next one here. And this one is where it, if, if our view of others changes, we've got to understand that our interaction with others is going to change. Things are going to be different, and, and one of the things with this is, is this is where unconditional love is tested. When your interaction begins to, uh, you begin to engage with people who, um, who just to put it lightly, they need Jesus, is <laughs> one of the church things um, uh, that are often said, uh, where unconditional love is tested and maturity is refined. It's in loving people who disagree with us, who actually misunderstand us. This is a huge thing that we can just expect as Christians, you can expect to be misunderstood about what you believe and what you live. I think you've got that quote up there. As a Jesus follower, you must expect to be misunderstood. That, that means that just because you're loving them unconditionally, you're doing exactly what Jesus has told you to do. You're living that. You're loving that. You're not, you're not judging them. You're not bringing any of that stuff. At some point, people are going to throw darts and, and say that you are. Just because of the nature of the cross. And so many times as Christians, we don't want to be offensive. And, and, and we don't have to be offensive because the cross is offensive in, in itself. But so many times we think we need to ramp up the gospel or make it sexy or put on a cute dress. And the gospel is offensive that says you're not good enough by yourself. You've fallen short. That's offensive. And it's not us saying it. And Jesus told us, as he told his disciples in the New Testament, he said, look, when you go out, when they don't receive you, it's not an offense to you. They're not receiving me. And so we just need to take that chip off of our shoulder where we think we, we got to engage in arguments and, and that's going to get us somewhere because you and me and everybody else, we've tried that before and that doesn't get us anywhere. But begin to engage in real life love and servanthood that Jesus calls us to. And know that's what transforms the heart is the love that we have for each other. Jesus didn't judge people. And so know that that's free. And you have to expect to be misunderstood, but it changes our interactions. Because here's the truth about sin. Let me just give you a few bullet points, and we're going to piggyback off of this. Our interaction changes to how it looks like in here and close today. Um, I just completely lost my train of thought. Can I get an amen for that? 
<laughs> you noticed it, right? <laughs> um, all right, let's undo that amen because I can't get my train of thought back. <laughs> no, it, it, it does, so. our interaction changes because here's the truth, is that we have to confront sin. You have to confront sin. Especially right here within the body of Christ, we have to confront it. The scripture talks about it. It says you need to confront sin in yourself. David said a prayer that I pray all the time. God, create a, a pure heart in me. That's just like the simplest, like, repentance prayer I pray on a regular basis. God, just create a pure heart in me. Like, get the junk away and just help me to lock into you. Just create a pure heart in me. Renew a steadfast spirit is what the psalmist said. And, and so we've got to realize that it needs to be confronted. Not only in ourselves, but in your spouse, it needs to be confronted. Husband, wife, it needs to be confronted. If you know something's going on, you see it, who better knows their junk than you? And we can just kind of continue to put a stamp of approval, or we can sit down in love and have this real conversation. We're like, look, our kids are seeing that, and they're going to start doing that. I don't want our kids to have this kind of bitterness towards them. You ever seen a a mom and a daughter or a father and a son, they both have the same issue that keeps getting passed on? Most of us are living proof of we've got those same, same things. We've, whatever it might be, whether it's a cowlick or it's an addiction, those things get passed on. And those are weights that maybe we, bore, uh, we were bearing at some point and when we just pass them on. We don't even realize that. We don't even realize the impact of our habits and routines that we have yet to set aside, the weights that we've yet to, to uh, release off of ourselves. So the first thing is it needs to be confronted in, in in ourselves, it needs to be confronted in our spouse, it needs to be confronted in our friends. And every single time it needs to be done in love and with wisdom. And if you don't know what it means to do it in love and wisdom, don't do it yet. <laughs> okay? If you don't know, because you're going to do more damage than you'll do good. If you don't know what it means to do it in love and wisdom and you haven't searched the scriptures about how to do that, don't do it. It's not your place. You don't know how to do it. <laughs> and so that's not, that's not an offense to you. I'm just saying let's go figure out how to do it. Do it in love. Do it in wisdom. If you don't know, then, you know, wait. God will give you the right time. Do your word studying. Get close to Jesus. And he's going to do the work. And that's another thing with this. It said with patience. We run this race with patience. So many times we want each other to be like fixed and like perfect immediately. And we're not. Like, if you expect me to be perfect, I will disappoint you. Maybe not today, but possibly tomorrow. And I'm not perfect. None of us are. But this love for each other, this unconditional love and this wisdom unites us, really. Um, And our interaction changes where we have to confront sin. And here's the truth. If you're living a life of some kind of secret sin, know that it will come out. Biblically, it tells us it will come out. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it with people's lives. They're, they become really good liars, really good hiders, and at some point your sin will be revealed. Okay, So just know that. But more than anything, our interaction changes with Jesus because he kills sin. Jesus destroys sin in our life, and if you want sin to be destroyed from your life, get closer to Jesus. I don't have a 12-step plan, which those things can be helpful in different addictions and in different weights in our life. There's no 12-step. Get close to Jesus, and, and Jesus will just purify and refine our heart. And another aspect of that is God uses us. He uses you and me. To the person sitting right next to you, to sitting across the room, to your coworker, to your neighbor, he uses us to refine and restore each other. You need to hear both words. You need to get both of those yellow words there. Refine and restore each other. <laughs> Refine and restore. Uh, passage in Proverbs here um, says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One lady sharpens another lady. 
Um, it's one person sharpens another, Proverbs 27, 17. And this is powerful because some of us have removed ourselves from interacting with other Christians, whether it be in the body of Christ because we're afraid of what will happen or afraid of what they'll find out about us. But let me tell you one thing that will happen if you don't interact with the body of Christ in a very real, authentic, and tangible way is you won't get any better. You'll only get worse. And for some of us that are, are safer, we feel safer when we're kind of, uh, you know, at a distance to the body of Christ, you're not going to get any better. Good luck. I mean, I'm, you're welcome. Getting close to Jesus will do, will do wonders for you. And, and, I, and if you want to live like that, that's fine, but that's not the Bible. That's not what the early church looked like when they were multiplying rapidly and, and with multiplication. They weren't living like that. In fact, they had everything in common. They were being real on a daily basis. They were meeting, but we don't want to change our schedule. We don't want to text somebody and say, dude, I just need somebody to talk to. Like, and I want, I want to move past this kind of monotony and this routine of, of failure and feeling the weight. I want to move past it. But let's move past it. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. But it's not just to refine each other as with fire. But it's also to restore each other as Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says right here, that it's about restoration. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by faith should restore that person, underline gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens, carry each other's junk. It's just the real way to put it. I mean, some of us, we like to keep our hands clean, but the church is not a clean place. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And I hope we can be challenged in our faith this morning to realize that sometimes it's got to get, get messy before it can get better. Carry each other's burden. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law. Restore that person. We're here to refine each other. We can't do that when we're alone, as weird as it seems, as intentional as we have to be about it sometimes, but also restore each other gently. I don't know where this is resonating with us on many different levels, and I know I'm giving a lot here, but ultimately, God wants to give us a clear picture of the distortion that's taken place, of the pattern that's killing us, that's ripping our toes off, that's yoking us and putting us on our back where we don't have any breath anymore. And God wants to give us this, this path of maturity and grace. And, and sometimes we can, we can make all the excuses in the world about why we're continuing in our pattern and why we're continuing that. And some of us, we don't have answers, and, and that's okay, okay? This is a place where we're okay with questions. Most time when people ask Jesus for answer, he gave them questions. So maybe the biggest thing you can walk away with today is not walking out all super great. You know, we like to go to church and feel good and then leave. Like, oh, life's better now. And then we walk back into our junk and we're reminded, oh, it's not so good as I thought it was. We get in this routine of like getting our church fixed, getting our Jesus fixed. That's not the life of a believer, man. One hour a week, is that really like what this is all about? God wants to do something that inspires you when you wake up, that fulfills you when you are in the darkest of nights when junk happens. 
and you can't stand and you can't see and you can't speak the words. Jesus wants to bring peace and joy into your life and the truth of the matter is we've made some decisions by not pushing off the weight, pushing off the sin, the distortions and the dislocations of our heart. We haven't said, God, create a pure heart in me, renew a steadfast spirit. We haven't prayed those prayers. We're just kind of like some of the early church who asked Paul when he was teaching about grace. They said, what should we do? Just keep sinning since God gets more glory? Should we just keep in this pattern? He's like, that's ridiculous. Don't continue in this. Walk in the freedom that God's given you. Put the, put the flag in the ground of freedom and put your hand on it and don't let go. If you have to, put two hands and wrap your legs around it and don't let go of the flag. Don't take your eyes off Jesus, but be free. Because this whole story from beginning to end is about God making us free and keeping us free. Someone just stand with me. And let's just close our eyes for a moment and just let God speak to us for just a second. We're not in a hurry. God, we, we fall short. We admit it, God. Our best day is, <laughs> is a joke to you, God, sometimes. I thank you that you take us right where we're at and your unconditional love draws us in to relationship, not religion. It draws us into freedom, not performance. And it makes us new, God. It makes us new. God, help us to lay aside the weight, to sever the pattern, to hit the reset button. God, help us to think differently, to see differently as we realize how desperate we are for your grace and for your mercy. God, help our interactions to be holy, God, as you're holy. Help our interactions to be filled with love, to be filled with service, to be filled with wisdom. God, help us to confront the tough issues. God, help us to look at dead in their eyes with all the love that we have. God, help us to look ourselves in the mirror and say, it's time to change. Help us to have tough conversations with ourselves and with others. Help us to remember that it's not by our own strength and by our own might, but God, it happens through the blood of Jesus, through a relationship with you. Help us to refine each other. Help us to restore each other. In Jesus' name, let's experience God's freedom in these next few moments as we worship and just lay everything at his feet.